Chapter Ten of Seven Keys to Balpate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gaby Cowan. Seven Keys to Balpate by Earl Der Biggers. Chapter Ten, The Cold Gray Dawn. The gayest night must have a morning after. Mr. Magee awakened to his to find sweet seven wrapped again in its favorite polar atmosphere. Filling the door leading to the outer room, he beheld the cause of his awakening. The mayor of Ruton, Mr. Cargan, regarded him with the cold, steely eye of a Disraeli in action but when he spoke he opened the jaws of a cocktail mixer well young fellow he remarked it seems to me it was time you got up and faced the responsibilities of the day first of which i may mention is a little talk with me he stepped into the room and through the doorway he vacated mr max came slinking the unlovely face of the foe of suspicion was badly bruised and he looked upon the world with no cheerful eye pushing aside one of the frail bedroom chairs as untrustworthy the mayor sat down on the edge of mr magee's bed it creaked in protest you just us pretty rough last night in the snow cargan went on that's why i ain't disposed to go in for kid gloves and diplomacy this morning it's my experience that when you're dealing with a man who's got the good old irish name of magee it's best to hit first and debate afterward i i used you roughly mr cargan said magee no debate mind you protested the mayor lou and me are making this morning call to inquire after a little package that went astray somewhere last night there's two courses open to you hand over the package or let us take it i'll give you a tip the first is the best if we have to take it we might get real rough in our actions mr max slipped closer to the bed an ugly look on his face the major glared fixedly into magee's eyes the knight who fought for fair ladies in the snow lay on his pillow and considered briefly i get what i go after remarked cargan emphatically yes sparred magee but the real point is keeping what you get after you've gone after it you didn't make much of an impression on me last night in that line mr cargan i never care much for humor replied the mayor especially at this early hour in the morning i hate a fresh guy put in max like poison i'm not fresh mr magee smiled i'm stating facts you say you've come for that package all right but you've come to the wrong room i haven't got it the hell you haven't roared the mayor lou look about a bit look about all you like agreed magee you won't find it mr cargan i admit that i laid for you last night i saw you open the safe according to the latest approved methods and i saw you come forth with a package of money but i wasn't rough with you 
I might have been, to be frank, but somebody beat me to it." "Who?" "The man with the seventh key, I suppose. The man Bland heard walking about last night when we were at dinner." "Don't tell me you didn't see him in that mix up at the foot of the steps." "Well, I did think there was another guy," the mayor answered, "but Lou said I was crazy." "Lou does you an injustice. There was another guy, and if you are anxious to recover your precious package, I advise you to wake him up to the responsibilities of the day, not me." The mayor considered. Mr. Max, who had hastily made the rounds of the three rooms, came back with empty hands. "Well," said the mayor, "I might as well admit it. I'm up in the air. I don't know just at this minute where to get off." But that state of affairs don't last long with me, young fellow. I will go to the bottom of this before the day is out, believe me. And if I can't do anything else, I'll take you back to Reuton myself and throw you in jail for robbery. I couldn't do that, smiled McGee. Think of the awful job of explaining to that white necktie crowd how you happen to be dynamiting a safe of Balpate Mountain at midnight. Oh, I guess I can't get around that, said the mayor. That money belongs to a friend of mine, Andy Rutter. I happened to go to the inn for a little rest, and I grabbed you dynamiting the safe. I'll keep an eye on you today, Mr. McGee, and let me tell you now that if I catch you, or any of the bunch that's with you, trying to make a getaway from Balpate, there's going to be a war breakout. I don't know about the other hermits, laughed McGee, but personally I expect to be here for several weeks to come. Phew, it's calling here. Where's the hermit? Why hasn't he been up to fix my fire? Yes, where is he? repeated Mr. Cargan. That's what everybody liked to know. He hasn't showed up not a sign of breakfast and me as hollow as a reformer's victory his back slid cried mcgee the quitter sneered max it's only a quitter could live on the mountain in a shack anyhow you rather hard on poor old peters remarked mcgee but when i think that i have to get up and dress in a refrigerating plant i can't say i blame you if only the fire were lighted. He smiled in his most ingratiating smile on his companion. By the way, Mr. Cargan, you're up and dressed. I've read a lot of magazine articles about you, and they one and all agree that you're a good fellow. You'll find kindling and paper beside the heart. What? The mayor's roar seemed to shake the windows. Young man, with a nerve like yours, you could whittle the price of a battleship from carnage. Aye, aye. He stood for a moment gazing almost in awe at McGee. Then he burst forth into a whole sound laugh. I am a good fellow, he said. I'll show you. He went into the other room, and despite the horrified protest of Lou, Max, busied himself amid the ashes of the fireplace. When he had a blaze underway, Mr. Magee came shivering from the other room and held out his hand. Mr. Cargan, he laughed, 
you're a prince he noted with interest that the mayor's broad shoes were mighty near two hundred thousand dollars while mr magee drew on his clothes the mayor and max sat thoughtfully before the fire the former with his pudgy hands folded over the vast expanse where no breakfast reposed mr magee explained to them that the holder of the sixth key had arrived a handsome young lady he remarked her name is myra thornhill old henry thornhill's daughter reflected the mayor well seems i've sort of lost the habit of being surprised now i tell you lou we're breaking into the orchid division up here while mr magee shaved in ice-cold water another black mark against the hermit of balpate he turned over in his mind the events of the night before the vigil in the office the pleading of the fair lady on the balcony the battle by the steps the sudden appearance of miss thornhill the figure in his room the conversation by the annex door like a moving picture film the story of that weird night unrolled itself the film was not yet at an end he had given himself the night to think soon he would stand before the girl of the station soon he must answer her questions what was he to do with the fortune that lay beneath the feet of the mayor of Ruton at this minute? He hardly knew. He was ready to descend at last, and came into the parlor of his suite with great coat and hat. In reply to Mr. Cargan's unasked question, he said, I'm going up to the mountain presently to reason with our striking cook. You ain't going to leave this inn, Maggie, said the mayor not even to bring back a cook come mr cargan be reasonable you may go with me if you suspect my motives they went out into the hall and mr magee passed down the corridor to the farther end when he rapped at the door of miss thornhill's room she appeared almost immediately buried beneath first and wraps you must be nearly frozen remarked mr magee pityingly you and your maid come down to the office i want you to meet the other guests i'll come she replied mr magee i've a confession to make i invented the maid it seemed so horrible unconventional and shocking i couldn't admit that i was alone that's why i wouldn't let you build a fire for me don't worry smiled magee you'll find we have all the conveniences up here I'll present you to the chaperon shortly, a Mrs. Norton, who is here with her daughter. Allow me to introduce Mr. Cargan and Mr. Max. The girl bowed with a rather startled air, and Mr. Cargan mumbled something that had pleasure in it. In the office they found Professor Bolton and Mr. Bland sitting gloomily before the fireplace. Got the news, Maggie? asked the harbour dasher peters has done a disappearing act it was evident to magee that everybody looked upon peters as his creature and laid the hermit's sins at his door he laughed i'm going to head a search party shortly he said don't i detect the odor of coffee in the distance mrs norton remarked professor bolton dolefully 
has kindly consented to do what she can the girl of the station came through the dining-room door it was evident that she had no share in the general gloom that the hermit's absence cast over balpate her eyes were bright with the glories of morning on a mountain in their depths there was no room for petty annoyances good morning she said to mr magee isn't it bracing have you been outside oh i miss norton miss thornhill explained magee miss thornhill has the sixth key you know she came last night without any of us knowing with lukewarm smiles the two girls shook hands outwardly the glances they exchanged were nonchalant and casual but somehow mr magee felt that among the matters they established were social position wit cunning guile and taste in dress may i help with the coffee asked miss thornhill only to drink it replied the girl of the station it's all made now you see as if in proof of this mrs norton appeared in the dining-room door with a tray and simultaneously opened the endless monologue i don't know what you men will say to this i am sure nothing in the house but some coffee and a few crackers not even any canned soup and i thought from the way things went yesterday he had ten thousand cans of it at the very least but men are all alike what name did you say oh yes miss thornhill pleased to meet you i'm sure excuse my not shaking hands as i was saying men are all alike norton thought if he brought home a roast on saturday night it ought to last a week out she rattled on unheeding her flow of talk the hermits of balpate inn swallowed the coffee she offered when the rather unsatisfactory substitute for breakfast was consumed mr magee rose briskly now he said i'm going to run up the hermit's shack and reason with him as best as i can i shall paint in touching colours our sad plight if the man has an atom of decency a walk on the mountain in the morning said miss thornhill quickly splendid i wonderful put in miss norton i for one can't resist even though i haven't been invited i'm going along she smiled sweetly she had beaten the other girl with the breath of a hair and she knew it new glories shone in her eyes good for you said magee the evil hour of explanations was at hand surely run up and get your things while miss norton was gone mr cargan and lumax engaged in earnest converse near a window after which mr max pulled on his overcoat and ain't been invited either he said but i reckon i'll go along i always wanted to see what a hermit lived like when he's really buckled down to the hermit business and then a walk in the morning has always been my first rule for health you don't mind do you whom am i asked magee that i should stand between you and health come along by all means with the blue corduroy suit again complete and the saucy hat perched on her blonde head miss norton ran down the stairs and received the news that mr max also was enthralled by the possibilities of a walk up baldpate the three went out through the front door and found under the snow a hint of the path 
that led to the shack of the post card merchant. "Will you go ahead?" asked Magee of Max. "Sorry," grinned Max, "but I guess I'll bring up the rear." "Suspicion," said Mr. Magee, shaking his head, "has caused a lot of trouble in the world. Remember the cruelty practiced on Pueblo Sam." "I do," replied Mr. Max, "and it nearly breaks my heart. But there is a little matter I forgot to mention last night. Suspicion is all right in its place." "Where's that?" asked Mr. Magee. Mr. Max tapped his narrow chest. "Here," he said. So the tree began to climb. Mr. Magee and the girl ahead, Mr. Max leering at their heels. The snow still fell, and the picture of the world was painted in grays and whites. At some points along the way to the hermit's abode, it had drifted deep. At others, the footpath was swept almost bare by the wind. For a time, Mr. Max kept so close that the conversation of the two in the lead was necessarily on the commonplaces of the wind and sky and mountain. Covertly, Mr. Magee glanced at the girl striding along by his side. The red flamed in her cheeks. Her long lashes were flecked with the white of the snow. Her face was such as one as middle-aged men dream of while their fat wives read the evening paper's beauty hints at their side. Far beyond the ordinary woman was she desirable and pleasing. Mr. Magee told himself he had been a fool, for he who had fought so valiantly for her heart's desire at the foot of the steps had faltered when the time came to hand her the prize. Why? What place had caution in the wild scheme of the night before? None, surely. And yet he, dulled idiot, coward, had in the moment of triumph turned cautious. Full confession, he decided, was the only way out. Mr. Max was panting along quite ten feet behind. Over her shoulder, the girl noted this. She turned her questioning eyes on Magee. He felt that his moment had come. I don't know how to begin, muttered the novelist, whose puppet's speeches had always been so apt. Last night you sent me on a sort of quest for the golden fleece. I didn't know who had been fleeced, or what was the idea, but I fared forth, as they say. I got it for you. The eyes of the girl glowed happily. She was beaming. I'm so glad, she said. But why, why didn't you give it to me last night? It would have meant so much if you had. That, replied Mr. Magee, is what I am coming to, very reluctantly. Did you note any spirit of caution in the fellow who set forth on your quest and dropped over the balcony rail? You did not. I waited on the porch and saw Max tap the safe. I saw him and Cargan come out. I waited for them. Just as I was about to jump on them, somebody, the man with the seventh key, I guess, did it for me. There was a scuffle. I joined it. I emerged with the package everybody seemed so interested in. Yes, said the girl breathlessly. And then... I started to bring it to you, went on Magee, glancing over his shoulder at Max. 
I was all aglow with romance and battle and all that sort of thing. I pictured the thrill of handing you the thing you had asked. I ran upstairs. At the head of the stairs I saw her. The light died in her eyes. Reproached entered there. Yes, continued McGee, your knight errant lost his nerve. He ceased to run on a schedule. She, too, asked me for that package of money. And you gave it to her, said the girl scornfully. Oh, no, answered McGee quickly. Not so bad as that. I simply sat down on the steps and thought. I got cautious. I decided to wait until today. I, I did wait. He paused. The girl strode on, looking straight ahead. Mr. McGee thought of adding that he had felt it might be dangerous to place a package so voraciously desired in her frail hands. He decided he'd better not, on second thought. I know, he said. What do you think? I'm a fine specimen of a man to send on a hunt like that, a weak, neat, mollycoddle who passes into a state of coma at the crucial moment. But... I'm going to give you that package yet. The girl turned her head. Mr. McGee saw that her eyes were misty with tears. You are playing with me, she said brokenly. I might have known. And I trusted you. You're in the game with the others. And I thought you weren't. I staked my whole chance of success on you. Now you're making a sport of me. You never intended to give me that money. You don't intend to now. On my word, cried McGee, I do intend to give it to you the minute we get back to the inn. I have it safe in my room. Give it to her, said the girl bitterly. Why don't you give it to her? Oh, the perversity of women. It's you I want to give it to, replied McGee warmly. I don't know what was the matter with me last night. I was a fool. You don't believe in me. I know. Her face was cold and expressionless. And I wanted to believe in you so much, she said. Why did you want to? cried McGee. Why? She plodded on through the snow. You must believe me, he pleaded. I don't know what all this is about. On my word of honor, but I want to give you that money, and I will. The minute we get back to the inn, Will you believe then? Will you? I hate you, said the girl simply. She should not have said that. As far back as he could remember, such a position had stirred Mr. McGee to wild deeds. He opened his mouth and words flowed forth. What were the words? I love you. I love you. Ever since that moment in the station I have loved you. I love you. Faintly he heard himself saying it over and over. By the gods, he was proposing, inanely, in words of one syllable, as the butcher's boy might have told his love to the second kitchen maid. I love you, he continued, idiot. Often Mr. Magee had thought of the moment when he would tell his love to a woman. It was a moment of dim lights, music perhaps in the distance, two souls caught up in the magic of the moonlit night, 
a pretty graceful speech from him a sweet gracious surrender from the girl and this instead i love you in heaven's name was he never going to stop saying it i want you to believe bright morning on the mountain a girl in an angry mood at his side a seedy chaperon on his trail an erring cook ahead good lord he recalled that a fellow novelist whose love scenes were regarded as models by young people suffering the tender passion had once confessed that he proposed to his wife on a street car and was accepted just as the conductor handed him his transfers mr magee had been scornful he could never be scornful again by a tremendous effort he avoided repeating his childish refrain the girl deliberately stopped there was never less of sweet gracious surrender in a suffragette hurling a stone through a shopkeeper's window she eyed mr magee pityingly and they stood until mr max caught up with them so that's the hermit's shack said max indicating the little wooden hut at which they had arrived a funny place for a guy to bury himself i should think he'd get to longing for the white lights and the table the wood with the red wine a very unromantic speech reproved the girl you should be deeply thrilled at the thought of penetrating the secrets of the hermitage i am are you mr magee she smiled up at magee and he was in that state where he thought that in the blue depths of her eyes he saw the sunny slopes of the islands of the blessed i he caught himself in time he could not be idiot enough to babble it again he pulled himself together i'm going to make you believe in me he said with a touch of his old jauntiness mr max was knocking with characteristic loudness at the hermit's door End of section ten recorded by gabby cowan